0: It's been a night for y'all. It was a night for us. So I am uh, I am glad to be with you. I'm glad to be with the church family. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Cole, and I am one of the pastors here uh, at Central. I work with our college and young adults, and I get the privilege to uh, share with you from Hebrews uh, this morning. We are continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews called "Jesus is Greater." And I want to start with a question that was asked last week uh, with Pastor Mike, Uh, if you have not listened to that sermon, you should, it's just legit, legit, so, but Mike quoted uh, Ted Lasso last week, and he didn't spoil the ending, so I guess I won't either, Um, but the question was from Roy Kent, Uh, can people really change? Uh, as I was thinking about that question this week, I was struck by how many ways that we seek to ask and answer that question in our days. From TV and movies and books, from the movie Up, we're trying to figure out if that old guy is going to be, if he's going to be kind, like if, he's, if the things are going to happen. Or, or the, the movie Grinch, my kid loved the Grinch for like forever, um, like all year round loved the Grinch, it was a lot. Um, but. Uh, We're trying to figure out if this guy can change, if this strange green creature that we still don't know what he is, um, if he can change, uh, maybe there's something there. And it's everywhere. Lord of the Rings, Narnia, pick your favorite movie uh, or your favorite book, all of these things. There is that question of, can someone change? And I think, though, that in reality that we're actually asking a little deeper of a question. We're asking the question, can I really change? Or will I always be this way? Or will my life always be like this? Or will the world always be this way? And if we can change, how? And what assurance do we have that it'll even stick? See, the hearers of uh, the pastor, or the pastor who is, is writing these words to his people felt this deeply. They were experiencing persecution. They were being ostracized. They were being mocked and threatened. They were being robbed and sometimes even imprisoned. And the culture around them was changing and people started to capitulate. People started to slowly fade out of their community. People started to trust in things that brought only temporary hope and peace but they started going towards that instead of holding fast in community and the pastor here has spent nine chapters showing us and showing them where their confidence is and reminding them where their assurance comes from that Jesus is the greater prophet the greater priest the greater king that he is worthy of our life and our hope and we are called to persevere but it's hard They need reminding, like us, that Jesus is our assurance, that he is greater than our fears, our struggles, our present suffering, and even our doubts. And so the pastor in this section tells them to remember, and he does that by saying, or telling them what to remember and how to remember. Remember. But first, let's pray and ask God for help and guidance as we, uh, as we go forward and read the text uh, with one another. So let's pray. Father, remind us this morning of your goodness and mercy. Remind us that you have put us in a community to bring us hope and strength. And Spirit, illuminate your word, we pray. Teach us more about you that we might be emboldened to live it out when we leave this place so lord may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you our rock and our redeemer amen hebrews chapter 10 it is in your worship folder Uh, i would encourage you to get out your pew bible which the number should be there uh, as well because we're gonna be jumping around a little bit in the chapter it was a long one it was a doozy So, we're only going to read a little bit, but we're going to touch a lot. So, chapter 10, verses 12 to 25. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So therefore, brothers... The word of our God will stand forever. Well, one of the movies in the past two years that has had an impact on me is the movie Encanto. I know, you may not have thought that. That probably might not have been your guess. Uh, But have you seen it? Some of you, maybe, yeah? Our house loves it. I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. Maybe that also explains why Encanto is on. But you have probably heard, uh, we don't talk about Bruno. Bruno. You probably heard that one. I'm not going to sing it and all the other great songs that exist in that movie. Um, uh, But it's a great one. I mean, who doesn't want to or love, you know, sitting around watching two hours of broken family systems at play um, in front of you? Uh, Because that's what's happening. Um, But I'm not going to unpack the whole movie. uh, But the dynamic between the main, main character, Maribel, and her grandmother really resonated with me. See, the Madrigal family, this family was an important one to their community. They received these gifts on their fifth birthday that gave them special abilities, and there was ceremony, and there was a party, and it was was a, a, a really incredible time, and these gifts helped the community around them to flourish. But when Maribel turned five, she walks into the ceremony, and nothing happens, and she is heartbroken. Her family is confused and heartbroken. And we just kind of get a glimpse of that back and forth in the movie. But at the time we see her originally, she is is a little older. And she's had a little time to struggle. (laughs) Struggle in not knowing her place, never really believing that... Uh, the love that she was told she had was there because she just didn't know if she belonged because she wasn't sure because she didn't have the things that other people had. She was, so in, instead, of, uh, instead, she just started being hyper-optimistic, constantly doing good things and things that no one else wanted to do to prove her worth, that she wouldn't be cast out or thrown away and even though she knew in her head she was a part of a family and she knew she was loved she just wasn't sure i resonated this with or with this because it reminded me of how i lived for some time after coming to faith the first couple of years were filled with excitement right filled with affirmation and we were excited about what god was doing and yet 3 or 4 years later i still struggled with the same besetting sins Maybe a little more victories, but still struggle. And I still made some pretty dumb choices, maybe less dumb ones, but still not awesome ones. I felt like a disappointment to God, that Jesus had paid this enormous debt for my sin, and it just seemed to waste it wasted on me. At church, we would sing Amazing Grace, as we will later in our service, and I could not get past the verse that he saved a wretch like me. I could not see that as a past tense reality. It was always present. I was always a wretch. I tried to muster up some optimism. I filled my time with good stuff, good things, thinking maybe that I would appease God or make him love me even more. But eventually despair took over, the waters were too high, and I didn't have any real assurance that there was any way out of darkness. And maybe you've been somewhere similar. Maybe you were there today. Maybe you have filled your life with a bunch of good stuff, and the right things, and still wondering why it's still so hard. Why, or when struggles and and sufferings come, why is it still so hard? Why is perseverance so hard? Especially when you feel like it has everything to do with you. See, the pastor in verse 32, towards the end of this chapter, tells us to remember, to recall. And he calls us to remember what is so captivating about the good news of Jesus. What so captured your heart? that led you in the early days and so what is it that we are supposed to remember to recall well we're to recall and to remember the faithful hospitality of god towards us i use the term hospitality here because at its core the definition means the love of stranger or the outsider And that is exactly what has happened here. Our sin alienated us from God. We were on the outside trying to find a way in, but the door was barred. But as verse 19 tells us, by the blood of Jesus, the doors are open. The curtain has been torn. We have been granted full access to the Father. We can approach him with our full selves, We are no longer strangers, but children, belonging to the household of God and gaining all of the privileges that go with it. We have been given an advocate in Jesus, the great high priest, our brother. We have been sanctified, made clean, and we have been given the spirit of God to dwell in us, and that means to live in ongoing sanctification in our world. Think about it for a second. For those who have trusted and believed in Jesus, the promises of God are that he has eliminated all of the barriers between us and him. That there is this promise that he will remove every spot of sin that separates us. That granting us full access as children, those who once felt isolated, those who once felt away, has been given them a chance to come in. And he is writing the law on our hearts and minds. All this and we bring absolutely nothing to the table. We have no brag sheet. We have no sick resume, no membership card. Costco will not get us into this. We get bring nothing, absolutely nothing to the table. And yet he takes all of this upon himself, all of the cost, the cost is Jesus his son, the one who, he who knew no sin but became sin that we might become the righteousness of God as Second Corinthians tells us. That all of our wretchedness, your sin, my sin was nailed to the cross and we are given his grace. J.I. Pecker says it this way. He says, in the New Testament, grace means God's love and action towards people who merited the opposite of love. Grace means God's moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. And grace means sending his only son to the cross to descend into hell so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and received into heaven. See, the funny thing about remembering in the scriptures is that human beings are significantly terrible at it. We forget, but God never does. Over and over again, time and time again, phrases like, and God remembering his covenant with Israel, and God remembering, or in his faithfulness, remembering his great love for his people. He remembers. And what has been accomplished in Jesus Christ is the most sure thing you will ever know. Because our God is faithful. And because of Jesus, we have freedom from wondering whether or not he loves us anymore. Because the assurance found at the cross says without a doubt that he does. So when the voices of doubt or insecurities or fears from without and within get really loud, trust in him. Remember him. Because you're no longer a stranger, you're a child. So act like it. Draw near to him. Pray to him. We have access to him. You can bring your whole self without fear of rejection or shame because he delights in his kids. When the the wavering kicks in, when we start to believe the lies of greener pastures or they just seem so appealing, when we are tempted by temporal comfort, security, and power, we remember and we need to remember to hold fast to Jesus for he is our greater assurance. But how do we do that? Million dollar question. Well we start with knowing the faithful hospitality of God towards us. We, we, we meditate that on that, we, we know that, we believe that. And it's also lived out in a community. A, a, communi- a community where We persevere together. That is rooted in this hospitality and in love. See, Encanto ends as kids' movies always do, right? Everything's tied up in a bow. You know, everything works out. Every relationship's fixed. You know, like normal life. Um, (laughs) But what is interesting is that Maribel never gets a gift. She just doesn't. Um but she finds her purpose in her place. She sees the value of upholding one another, of encouragement and love, even when there is conflict, even when it's hard. Or at least that's my take. The internet has plenty of them, so. But in community is where I started to hope again. Through friends and pastors and mentors speaking truth to the lies I was believing through the care and patience and sacrifice of their time and their resources, and through the encouragement to even seek counseling. I was helped by the community because they loved me. I was even helped by the community that has gone before us or before me. I read accounts of Christian brothers and sisters in the past who had dealt with the same despair, the same dark night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross called it. And I saw that in their resilience and in their perseverance, there was hope. There is a, that their assurance was not found on their own merit, but it was in Jesus. See, community is a beautiful thing. It is a place when, where someone falls and you pick them up because you fell before two. The Christian life is to be lived out in and among the presence of other Christians. The temptation to do Christian life in isolation or alone is at best unwise and at worst dangerous. We need one another. In a world where loneliness is considered to be a public health crisis, the church combats that with communities marked by faith, hope, and love. It is supposed to be a place of refuge where we gather to receive strength, to scatter into the world to gather again, to scatter again. We need each other. With that said, I do want to recognize that the church hasn't and doesn't always do this as we should. There may be some of you in this room who have been harmed by the church and have found it to be significantly wanting, found it to not be what it should be. I'm sorry. But please don't give up on her. She needs you. We need you. And you need it too. If this is your story, I or any of our pastors would love to talk more and hear more about, about you, about your story. But don't give up. See, the pastor's rationale for the community is to be placed, or is to be a place of remembering the love and hospitality and living it out. It might seem obvious that we're supposed to do that. Maybe not. But it. To me, it seemed like, eh, this makes sense. Um, And it's it's integral for our life as Christians. Verses 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are called to stir one another up to love and good works. Some translations use spur or provoke. I might even say annoy. Uh, it's challenging. It's pushing one another in a direction that is needed and necessary. I guess it does kind of make sense, at least the concept of spurring, because, you know, we can all be stubborn like mules sometimes. Maybe it's me. Uh, but we spur one another on to love, the love of God, to love Him deeply, to understand His love and to live out that love in good works or works of love or hospitality. We understand the concept that God's hospitality towards us draw or drives us to be hospitable people to each other and to the world. We spur one another to uh, to remember and believe. And we seek to embody that to our neighbors. We think of, uh, think of John thirteen thirty five 35, right? The, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Have you ever thought how weighty that statement is? Think about it. The world sees the way we love one another, by, or the, uh, who God is by the way that we love each other. So we always got work to do, I guess, but man. Love is rooted, or is at the root of of people saved by grace. Because we receive it and we give it. Do you have someone in your life who can spur you on? Who can tell you the hard things when you're being a little crazy? Who can help you course correct Think of ironing, sharpening, or iron sharpening iron, right? Who can call you out and you know that they love you? It also says to not neglect meeting with one another. Consistent Christian community or church helps us to hold fast to hope. We are bombarded with countless things every day of how to think and act and be in the community or in the church is where that is corrected see the church is where the word of god is preached and taught sacraments offered where we speak the blessings of god to one another and over one another we remind each other of the promises of god we lament together we pray together we laugh together and we cry together It is a family rooted in love and hospitality, holding on to the assurance that our God is faithful. And we need one another. And lastly in this, we encourage one another. Encouraging one another when they are doing well and when they aren't doing so well. (laughs) Encouraging when uh, things seem to be ripping at the seams. Encouraging one another to hold fast to the confession of our hope. Verses 26 through 31 is, uh, to be honest, a relatively terrifying set of scriptures. If you've, uh, if you read, you know, for light reading later today, read it. Um, but it's the consequences and the dire reality of straying from this, of uh, deliberately sinning against what has been, uh, the hope that in which you originally confessed. It's the it's the sinning and not having any guilt or problem with it. It's the, kind of the same statement of Paul where, you know, so we sin that grace may abound. And he says, not by no means. We need each other to keep us on a path. When I think of encouragement, I think of the passage in Luke 22, right? The following, the disciples arguing over his uh, or who, who was the greatest of them. Um, and he, Jesus has is, is settled the argument like he normally does. And he, and he turns to Peter and he just tells him, hey, by the way, you're going to fail. Uh, you're going to fall and deny me. And he says, but when you return, strengthen the brothers. And that word strengthen creates this image of putting the person's arm around your neck and, and picking them up. And helping them walk, giving, giving them your strength to walk, to, to move, to, to take the next few steps. That is the community. That is the encouragement we live into. And so imagine a community like this. A community that's not marked by outrage or vitriol or competition or Disunity not insisting on its own way, but a unique community whose aim is to love and live out love in and among the people and the world. May the Lord make us more and more into a place like that for the good of each other, our neighbors, and for his glory. So, after all, people will know that we love him by the way we love each other. And I'll end with this. The call to remember should not be complicated. But uh, we forget. We have identity crisis after identity crisis in our wavering. But here's the thing is, I don't think God is shocked by this. The fact that we are told to persevere, told, told to hope, means that it will be hard. That he is there and he understands and he sees and the call to remember is to remember his grace is real and it is sustaining, that his mercy is new every morning, that he is our father who delights in us, that Jesus is our advocate, that we persevere in a community that is present, encouraging, challenging, and loving, and we are not alone as we hold on to this hope. Assurance does not look like grit and determination. It looks like hope, assured hope. J.I. Packer says it wonderfully this way. you know I've been reading some J.I. Packer this week. It's a lot of quotes. It's my man. Um, He says this. He says, optimism hopes for the best without any guarantee of its arriving and is often no more than whistling in the dark. Christian hope, by contrast, is faith looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promises of God. Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life And every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. Friends, we are not ones, as the end of this passage says, who sink back and shrink back and are destroyed. But we are ones who persevere. Because we remember and we know where our assurance comes from. And I pray that for us this week. Let's pray now. Father, it is so sweet and good to be able to call you Father, that we can draw near to you knowing you hear us and love us. I don't know everyone's story in here this morning and how they came in. I don't know what they've been through or are going through, but I pray that you, Lord, that that the news of your grace and your mercy and your goodness The news of your deep and abiding love for your people captures all of our hearts this week, that we can't help but love you with our whole hearts, and we can't help but love one another in response. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our advocate and Savior King, amen.